Thank you, Devin. Uh, welcome to 50 years in one day. Uh, not exactly that way. We didn't really pick the exact day that we did the 50th celebration, but we had a great opportunity over last weekend uh, to celebrate uh, just 50 years of ministry in this community, five decades. And uh, again, we appreciate uh, Liz and all her team putting that together, and all those also helped as well. Uh, we had a number of people sending notes uh, of appreciation for the weekend. Um, I got a note from Chris Bennett. A number of you were here when Chris was... Uh, was serving here and he wrote uh, thank you so much for inviting me to attend the 50th anniversary and also participate in it uh, in the celebration at grace hills church it was a tremendous event and i can't imagine being better than it was so you were a great host uh, for those who had served in years past and it was a great opportunity to, to remember and to see people that you had known before uh, but today is a day in which we again begin that um, that new day you know today is the, is the first day of the rest of your life kind of a cliche but it's really true is uh, our, the rest of our time here begins right now. And God wants us to take all our nows, all our moments, to be used as, of him to make us more like himself and to show him to others in very clear and abundant ways. But as I was uh, preparing for um, this kind of actually fulfillment or fi uh, finishing off of the, the series on transformation, we didn't quite get through it last Sunday, is uh, I came across this, this, uh, this article in a, uh, from a book uh, called Actions Speak Louder Than Verbs. And normally we say actions speak louder than words, but verbs are kind of the active way to, uh, to say what you're going to do, but you don't always do it. It's written by Herb Miller, and he, he tells this story about two ranchers in Kentucky, and I, I want to begin with it this morning. Uh, two Kentucky ranchers who own racing stables had developed a keen rivalry, and a very bitter one as well, one spring, each of them entered a horse in a local steeplechase, thinking that a professional rider might keep his, might help him outdo his friend. One of the ranchers engaged a professional jockey to be on his horse. It's kind of a local steeplechase race. The two horses were neck and neck with a, a large lead over the rest of the pack uh, at the last fence, but suddenly they both fell unseating other riders and so the horses stumbled and the riders did as well the professional jockey remounted quickly and rode on to win the race returning triumphantly to the the kind of the holding place where all the people came back to the jockey found the rancher who had hired him fuming with rage he was angry what's the matter the jockey asked i, I won didn't i Oh, yes, roared the rancher. You won all right, but you crossed the finish line on the wrong horse. <laughs> you know, it's like scoring a basket on somebody else's goal, right? And, and, and that can happen a lot, can't it? We think we're winning, but we're not. We're actually losing, and we might be helping the opposite side that we're trying to, to uh, win the victory over. And so as you think about life and God making changes and putting on, on a certain course direction, we, we always need to make sure we're headed in the right uh, direction that God wants us to, to, to go on. You know, Jesus described that, that path, that street, and it wasn't a wide one. It was a, a narrow one. And the reality is most people don't choose to go on it. And, and so if we're not diligent, we're not careful, we, we can be very busy, but busy about the wrong thing. And so God wants us to make sure that we're, we're headed in the places and the ways and in the directions he wants us to go. So with that as kind of a start off, a beginning, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer one more time as we look in his word. Father, we pray as we finish this mini-series on transformation, which really kind of is a summary of, 
of all the journeys that the Bible tells us that we need to be aware of that ends in the intended direction you want us to, to go in, that we might really have hearts attentive to what you have to say to us. Might we be crystal clear about you know, which horse we're riding on and who we're riding for and where do we want to end up and how are we going to end up that way. And Father, we ask that you uh, can do that your spirit that inspired this text, it might illumine this text so that we might understand it for your sake and for your glory. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your outlines this morning, you can also turn the passage in your own Bibles if you want. But let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2 together in uh, the translation we have on your, on your outline this morning. Revelation, not Revelation, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, uh, we, we try to break that down in bite-sized pieces that, that says, okay, what is that really saying? What does that really mean? Uh, because the, the, the Bible is not simply for us to gather information, but for transformation. And so for that to happen, we've got to have a clue about what it's saying when it's saying whatever it says. And so as we looked at this idea of God wanting to make changes in our lives, well, where does that begin? And so we really try to decide where does it begin, and, and then this morning we're going to look at where is it supposed to end. And it begins on the inside. Therefore, uh, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God. And he's speaking to the people inside the family of God. So he's speaking to those who, who've already made the major change because they've given God their lives, or more appropriately, you could say they, they've given God their hearts. And, and really, that's, that's so important for us to realize. Anything that God wants to do in our lives, it begins on the inside before it begins to show on the outside. So we began to say, where, where does God want to transform us? He wants to transform us, first of all, in the heart. And that heart is the expression in Scripture that is the core of your being. Uh, just in my own devotional reading this week, I've been reading through the book of Proverbs as well as the book of Numbers that we've been encouraged to read through. And, and I was struck by, you know, what the Bible says about the heart. And just to give you a few passages, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Watch or guard your heart with all diligence. In other words, work hard to make sure your heart's right. For from it flow the springs of life. And you remember Jesus said, you can really know what's going on on the inside by showing what's going on the outside. And so if you want to change what's going on the outside, make sure you got what's going on the inside right with me. So it begins on the inside. Guard your heart. In Proverbs 28, verse 16, it says this, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Now he's talking about not the new heart that God places in the believer, but that, that heart from the past. And when you trust in your own self, he says, you're foolish. Then he goes on, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. And so we, we need to guard ourselves saying, look at it. Just because that's naturally how I feel or think about something, that doesn't necessarily mean that's God's way of thinking or feeling about it. And then in Proverbs 28, 14, he says this, How blessed is the man who fears always. That struck me as I was reading this. It goes on and then it says, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. You know, we have a hard heart toward God when we're, 
we're not open to what he wants to say to us. We're just, we're locked in. We're just stubborn. We're, we're just, we have, as the Bible says, hearts of stone. We can't break through. And, and he says, well, that happens. It, you, you just can't be open to, to what God wants to do in your life. And, and, and here he says, interesting enough, uh, the avenue by which God breaks up that hard ground or that stony heart is by recognizing that we all have, ought to have a healthy fear of God when we approach Him. Now, the, the Bible is interesting because it says, it will say the same thing almost in opposite directions. I keep using the word directions this morning, in opposite ways. Some, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. But there is, a, there is an unhealthy fear and there's a healthy fear. The healthy fear is, God, I know I can mess up. And I want to be careful not to do it. So there's, there's a part where I need to approach you recognizing I know at times I won't listen to you. So I want to be very fearful that, that today is not that day. That I'm very attentive to you. So God beginning that transformation of the heart is the very fundamental thing he does. And it, it's something we need to fall back into and say, God, have I given you my heart? And am I, am I open for you to pour in anything you want into my heart? But it doesn't stop there because then he says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So God wants us to present our physical being to him. And the reality is everywhere your heart goes, you're what goes with it, the rest of your body. And so we are to present every member of our body, our eyes, our hands, our feet, um, every, our passions that come from not just the heart but our gut, uh, everything, our tongue, give to him. Because he has our heart, well, he now might as well have everything else and it ought to show on the outside. And then we say, okay, well, that's what I've done. Well, how do, I, how do I live that out on a regular basis? He says, well, you need to be transformed. And, and the reason you need to be transformed because there's something in someone else's that are trying to transform you in the opposite direction. He says, well, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But be transformed. Be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so God takes that computer chip that he puts in our brain and he says, look, if you'll control your thoughts, you'll control your actions and your attitudes and the, uh, and the path that you're going to go on. So God wants us to, to make our mind filled with his truth. But you get to that point and you say, was well, he over? That's a, that's a mouthful. I'm supposed to give him my heart. I'm supposed to give him my body. I'm supposed to give him my mind. And then he goes on and he basically kind of has a, a, a statement in here saying, well, what's going to be the result of that? And so after he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says this, so that you may prove. What am I supposed to prove? What the will of God is. Well, what am I supposed to prove about the will of God? Well, what, it, what is it like? It's, it's good, acceptable, and perfect. And we all at times are demotivated or unmotivated to do things we know we ought to do. You know, whether it's um, not too many people mow their own lawn today, but if it's getting in the morning, I got to mow my lawn, or I got to do weeding in the garden, or whatever it might be, or I got to get up and I got to clean the house, or whether I got to take, I, either I got to work in my car, or I got to take my, my car and get its oil changed, or whatever it might be, and you just get up and say, I just don't feel like it today. I just don't want to do it, okay? And, and, you know, there are times you need to rest and just relax, and you can't put certain things off, but there's one thing you should never put off, and that is a commitment to do the will of God in your life. And he says, in case you're not motivated, I'm just going to tell you what the will of God is. It's good. <laughs> this is good news. It's good. And not only is it good, it's acceptable. 
and not only is it acceptable, it is perfect. It, it doesn't get any better than that. But the thing is, we have a tendency to remember the things we ought to forget and forget the things we ought to what? Remember. And I'm not talking about the memory verse that you've all memorized this week. I was going to get you up here on stage and just say, okay, just quote Romans 12, 1, 2 for us. But I think you might have gone that direction rather than this direction. You know, that's one thing. But the things we shouldn't forget are the things about God that he wants us to hold on to. And, and his will is a reflection of who he is. He's good. He, he's acceptable under anybody's standard. He's perfect. And his plan for us, his will, is the same. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Well, we want to dissect that just a little bit this morning in the time we have. So let's, let's go after it. We talked about the one, one of them last week. I'll kind of re rehearse that a little bit, and then we'll go on to the other two. And then, then I want to leave, leave us all with just four questions. When you give your will to God's will, you will discover, and that's what it means to prove, means to show, means to examine, it means to display, that God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Well, what does that mean? Well, we talked about life last week. What it means is, when it's good, is that life is better when you do God's will. Or to put it in a way, it's beneficial. And the Bible says that. In fact, it just challenges us to... to and we're not called to, to test God too much, but the Bible does says this in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? It's good. God says, look it. You follow me. You'll find out I am good. My will, my way, Father knows best. Okay? Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed, how happy, that's what the word blessed means, is the man who takes refuge in him. And we brought on stage here an apple. I had two different, I got I got to eat two different apples, you know, last Sunday. And I took a bite out of it, okay? And the apple looked good, which is another word for, for good. It means beautiful in the New Testament. But it's not always just beautiful because you, you can look at it. You can take a bite out of a good-looking apple, but it doesn't taste very good, right? And so it says taste of the apple. Taste to see that it's good, that it's, it's, a, it's better than some other apple. He goes on an illustration of that same idea, Matthew 7, 17. So every good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And I've, I've experienced both. I've experienced good fruit, and I've experienced bad fruit. And you go, oh, wow. And then you take that bite, and you go, I don't want to take, I don't want to eat any more of this fruit. But he's speaking more than just fruit, obviously. He's speaking about the character of, of, of God, or character of the will, the, the, the guidance he gives us. And that's kind of illustrated in John 7, 12. There was much grumbling about, uh, among the crowds concerning him, Jesus. Some were saying, he is a good man. Now, they weren't taking a bite out of Jesus. They were talking about his character. And is it, is it good to know Jesus? If you, in your lifetime, are there some people, after you met him for a while, say, you know, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to be around that person very much because they're not good for you and they're not good for anybody. doesn't mean you don't care about them, love for them, hope that they, they come to know Jesus, but they're just not good. They're a bad influence. And that's what he's saying here. You know, is Jesus a good man? Is he, is he pointing us in the way we ought to go? Well, some said yes, but others had the exact opposite viewpoint of Jesus. Is he a good man? Others were saying no. On the contrary, he leads the people astray. And people who lead you astray, I don't care whether it's in some financial decision you've got to make or whether it's some um, opportunity in terms of employment or whatever it might be, is if they lead you astray, they're not a good person, particularly if they know they're leading you astray. 
and they're doing it for their own benefit. And so God wants you to know, well, he's not that kind of person who would lead you astray. He will lead you down the right path. Just quickly to illustrate, uh, I, I, am, I am horrible in the kitchen. If it's not in a box and you pour it in a bowl and then put milk in it, I don't really do a whole lot of cooking in the kitchen. But I have a couple times tried something to you know, make something for somebody. And, and so the only way I could do is I had to follow a recipe, right? And so with no uh, experience at all, I mean, I followed that recipe to the nth degree. I mean, I didn't, I didn't stray from it at all, okay? And if I did it perfectly, you know, and measured everything right and did everything said in terms of not only putting it in the bowl and mixing it in or whatever and then put it in the oven, it came out pretty good. Um, I wouldn't want to do it for a living, but, you know, it, it, I followed somebody else's recipe and it, and it, and it worked out. But if you've ever gone over to somebody's house that, that is a great cook, and maybe they were preparing a favorite meal, and you were looking so, so much forward to eating whatever they made, let's say it was a baked good, all of a sudden you take that first bite, and all of a sudden you go, oh, well, you really don't do that in their presence. But I mean, you, ta- you take a bite, and you say, oh, they must have left what? Something out. They, they didn't follow their recipe. And see, that's where a lot of people... They want, well, you say God is good. Well, I've tried my best, but it hasn't worked out very well for me. And then you talk to them a little bit longer, and you find out, well, well, you did part of God's will, but you didn't do all of it. You, you left something out. And if you leave something out, it's not going to be that good. Now, we're going to take, uh, take this trip a little bit down another path as it relates to the goodness of God's path and goodness of God himself does not mean it's always easy. And it does not mean that your life will only be filled with pleasant experiences. But it means in the midst of everything that happens, if you go down God's path and fulfill all that recipe, your life will be good. It'll be better than if you hadn't gone down that path. And God's goodness is so good that he can take the mess either caused by yourself or by other people and even make that work for good. You know that familiar verse in Romans 8? God causes all things to work together for, for good. To those who love God and live according to his purposes. And, and so as we go down God's path, desiring to be changed by him and to prove to the world that God is a good God and his way is best, we need to be convinced at every Fork in the road, trying to decide, okay, do I go my way or God's way? I go God's way. And in case I'm demotivated at that moment, I have to be convinced that his will is good. Not always easy. Doesn't mean that we might not get the challenges, even more challenges that are found in this world. The Bible says those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But even in the midst of that, God is good because he his presence is made evident. So, what does God want us to do? He wants us to be changed in our heart, in our physical being. He wants us to be changed in our mind. And then he wants to show to us and to the world that, that he and his ways are good. Secondly, he also wants us to know that his ways are acceptable. His good and perfect, acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the word acceptable, in some of your translations, some of your older translations, it actually translates this word Kind of literally, it's a compound Greek word. It means well-pleasing. And, and that really has the idea. There's a, it's, a, it's 
like our words in our own language has multiple definitions and kind of nuances. But it's saying, look, if you do God's will, it's going gonna, it's gonna to please you well, and it's going to please our Heavenly Father well. And if you notice that when you have a, someone that you highly respect, I don't care if it's a, a parent or a coach or a professor or a, a, an employer, when you do things that please them, what does it do for you? It pleases you as well. And he's saying, look, if you follow my path, you'll, you, you won't have to wonder, how, how, how is God looking at what I'm doing? Is, is he excited about how I'm living? Or is he going, oh, man, I can't, I can't, how come Liz can't get her act together? You know? You know, it, well, how is she looking? At, how, is she, how is he? How is he looking at us? And, and, and we don't have to wonder in the dark what God wants. He simply wants us to do his will. And when we do his will, we please him. And when we please him, it pleases us and it enhances our life. There's another aspect on the two. It's, it's acceptable, and you could also define this. It's honorable. I was, uh, I don't know, just triggered my mind, you know, God's will is honorable. And I thought, well, how could I illustrate that? And I thought, well, you know, I, I thought I'd just kind of read some stuff from the West Point Academy. You know, they have an honor code, and it's a pretty simple one. Basically, the honor code is um, the cadets promise they will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. Well, that's, that's not a long list there. But they have a whole way of ensuring that that happens. And it's interesting, uh, Doug MacArthur, uh, as he talked about the honor that should be those who graduate from West Point, he said, duty, honor, country, those three hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, what you will be. These are your rallying points. Live honorable lives. Live lives that please well those who are leading you and developing you to be leaders in our country. I'll paraphrase rather than read what I was going to read next, but Major General Maxwell Taylor talks about the honor code, the uniqueness of the honor code in West Point. And he says there are other schools that have honor codes, and there are other places where they hold you up to a certain standard. And he said, but the difference for a West Point cadet is that if, if we don't bring you to that point where we shape your character, and then you are unleashed into the community or world. Uh, unlike a person who is dishonorable under some other profession or some other way of living, you know, what, what are the consequences for them making decisions that aren't honorable? Well, you might lose the esteem of the people around you. They might not like you as much as they used to when they find out how you really are. That's not your character, being a, a person of honor. Or you might, even the point, depending on what you do, you could even be brought before the courts and you could lose freedoms or resources. But he said, if you as an officer, uh, a person who leads men in battlefield, and you are not honorable, you will cost people their lives. And the shame will not simply be yours, but it will be a national shame. But if that be true of the cadets at West Point, how much more is that for God's people? When we do God's will, 
is not only well-pleasing to God, but it's honorable. Because when we don't live for God, it costs people's lives. Because they don't see Jesus. They, they look at Christians and say, there's nothing, there's nothing different about you. And they don't see what God wants to display in us. Now, I'm not going to debate the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. God's much bigger than our mistakes. But on the level that he's put us, we're his ambassadors. And, and we, are the, we are the people that people are seeing, whether that light shines so they, they can see us. And our shame is not our own personal shame. It's God's shame when we don't live up, up to the, the will of God in our lives. So as, as, as Paul lands that plane of calling people to be transformed, he says, I want you to know that, that God's will is good. It's also acceptable. It's well-pleasing to the one you want to please more than anyone else, God our Father. But it's also honorable. And so important you need to live it out so, so people can see Jesus. And then he closes with a word you're saying, you can't get any better than that. It's perfect. It's per God's will is perfect. And if, if, if you ever want to have an experience, you, you know, you go on a vacation, what kind of vacation do you want to have? I want to have a perfect vacation. You know? Whatever job I have, I want to have a perfect job. You know, whatever children I want, have, I want them to be perfect children. You know? yeah, there's all kinds of things we like to have perfect. But he's not talking just simply about something without air. And there's aspects in God's word when he uses that word. It's the word telos in the New Testament. But, but he's using it more kind of where we live. Okay. What he means by perfect, he means complete or mature. Or coming to that point where it's being lived out to, for its intended purpose. You know, when I have a hammer in my hand, there's a nail on a piece of wood, and I'm able to nail that nail into that wood with that hammer I've, and, and I've done it without bending that nail you know I've now been able to use that hammer in a perfect way because that was its intended purpose and so God wants us to be raised up through his will in a way that makes us complete and mature uh, real quickly you know 1 Corinthians 14 20 says brethren do not be children in your thinking but yet in evil be infants but in your thinking be perfect or mature uh, he goes on in the idea of, of raising us up to, to be what he's intended us to be. Uh, Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man, it's the word perfect there, perfect or complete in Christ, which means we're exactly how, how God wants us to be. Colossians 4.12 puts the will of God in perfection just like he does in Romans 12. He says this, Epaphras, who was a a leader in a church, kind of a pastor who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. And then he says this, so that you may stand perfect and complete, and, and that you may perfect, complete, and mature, and fully assured in the will of God. So, so the goal there is we think about going down God's way, God's path, which will change us, is realize I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm falling out of God's intended plan, purpose for my life. W when you raise a child, it's for the purpose of, and you enjoy, I hope, hope you have that. Uh, that was our, our goal as parents. We want to enjoy our children at every age. You know, we hear it all, the, 
Well, you're not, enjoy them now because they're going to be teenagers. You know, that was never our intended purpose. We want to enjoy our kids at every stage of life, and we're still enjoying it. And, and some of us, however, you know, we might have favorite stages, right? I really liked them when they were at this age or at this age or this age. But whatever stage you like them, you would be a bad parent if you'd want them to stay there, right? I mean, how, how horrendous would it be for a healthy child to remain in the elementary stage when God's intended purpose for them was to, be, to grow up and to become a, an adult? And so that's what God does for us. He said, look, at, you're my child, and I want you to grow to be an adult. And I know when we were younger, we thought all adults were boring. We're not talking about being a boring adult. We're talking about a mature adult who experiences life to its fullest. That's what God's will is for God's people. And we all, and we've said this many times, before, we never reach final adulthood until we see Jesus. So God is still growing us no matter how long we've known the Lord. So this morning, what, what, what's the point? The point is that God wants us to have our will changed, to be realigned with his will. And when we struggle with that, realize that, hey, his will is good, acceptable, well-pleasing, and perfect. I want to leave you rapidly with four questions. And this is on the back of the outline this morning. When we struggle with this, what are some questions we can ask? Well, let's look at it. Four questions. How do, you, how do you get in on this? Well, ask yourself, if you could be convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, would you be willing to do his will? Uh, John 7, 16, 17 says this. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And if you're with him, you can say, Well, how, how do I know that is? I mean, you're listening to Jesus. So how do I know you're from God? You're saying that. It's easy to say that. Any of us could say that. I want you to know everything, every word that comes out of my, out of my mouth comes from God. I can say that. But then you could test it very easily in a day and say, well, I know that didn't come from God. Uh, and so they say, well, their implied question of mine, well, how do I know it's from, you're from God? He says this, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. Which simply is to put it this way. Look, as, as we seek to pursue God, we have to be convinced that these words in this book are not simply human words. God used human authors, but they come from God. And you might say, well, how do I know that? Well, Jesus put it this way. Here's one of the ways. There's many ways to be convinced this is from God. One of the ways is try to live it out. Okay, Try to pursue whether it is from God. And you'll discover supernaturally, because God says, I will put my stamp of approval. This comes from me. But you have to be willing to know it's from me. And there's some people who don't. They say, no, I, I don't want, if there is a God, I don't want a God telling me what to do. Well, that person, until he changes that, will never know God. If they don't, if they're not open, open for God telling them what to do, then they will never know God. But if they're willing, God says, I'll let you know. Secondly, ask yourself, are you convinced that God loves you and is the source of full joy? That's really put in a different way. Are you convinced that God is, the, is a good God? The Bible says in the most familiar verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the, the world. And he showed that he loved the world because he gave his son. Uh, and that son died on our behalf. The Bible says that we don't love God because we're such great people. We love God because we know he first loved us. And then we know that, that he can give us joy because 
he said, look, at, you, before you didn't ask for anything in my name. But if you ask my name, I will give you full joy. But you've got to be convinced God is a good God. Question number three, ask yourself, are you committed to do his will even when it is not easy? And this is where we often get tripped up. But Jesus went through the same thing. Matthew 26, 39. And he, Jesus, went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You can, you can honestly say there was a point where Jesus wanted to say no to the will of his Father. Because it wasn't just difficult, it was just overwhelming. And he said, God, is, isn't there any way you can kind of change this up? Is there any way we can do this differently? But then, the expression of confidence in his father, he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And often that's, that's what we've got to do when we, we don't want to do what God wants us to do. Fourthly, oh, we're just looking at the passage. We know in Hebrews 12, too, that he, he saw the future. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He's willing to the cross because he saw the purpose of what he's doing. And even as we thought about West Point, you know, wh why do people fight on the battlefield? Because they see the value of protecting our freedoms. And Jesus died to set us free. And then fourthly, ask yourself, and this is the daily thing. Are, are you asking God to do his will now or later? You know, in the Lord's Prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, it says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, which is simply your rule uh, come. And it says, on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's uh, will is done perfectly and completely. On earth, not so much, right? And it's one thing, you know, for us wanting God's will to be done in heaven. It's one thing to want God's will done here on earth, and for us to participate in it now. And so that's, you know, that's the challenge for us, is am I committed to do God's will today? And then if the Lord tarries, and we don't end this life on this planet today, am I committed to do God's will tomorrow? And then if God tarries, he doesn't send his son to, to start his kingdom work here on earth, uh, and we tarry, we're, we're, we're not taken up uh, to him. Am I willing to do God's will the day after tomorrow? Because every day we wake up, and today am I recommitting myself to do his will, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I, I close with these two statements. Uh, someone has written that life is like a, a, a grindstone, and Whatever it grinds, it, as it grinds, it'll either grind you down or polish you up, depending on what is really on the inside. And hopefully you see as you go through life that God is polishing the rough edges. But, but I like uh, this statement. There were two caterpillars that were crawling across the grass when a butterfly flew over them. They looked up and one nudged the other and said, you couldn't get me up in one of those things for a million dollars. <laughs> He couldn't believe that anyway possible that they would ever soar and fly. That's, that's not them. But if God could change a caterpillar crawling on the ground or on some leaf and allow it to be able to soar as a butterfly in the air, God can do things in our lives to change us that can show his power 
that we might experience uniquely how he's made us to be what he wants us to be in a way that proves that his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that we can just be amazed at the truth from your word that gives us hope to live a life that can only be lived and experienced by your grace. Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, we invite them to admit their need and, and turn from their sin, which separates them from you, and, and put their faith, believe in Jesus Christ as, as the one who died for their sins and rose again, and commit to follow you as the Lord and Savior of their life. And Father, for us to know you, might we in a fresh and new way say, God, I want your will to be done, not mine. Uh, for your sake and for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We invite you to stand as we sing as we just uh, proclaim uh, our faith to him. If you'd like to talk with another.